You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. This episode is proudly sponsored by Salty Cabins, a unique, luxurious off-grid escape. Salty Cabins are committed to the environment, with every booking made a $20 donation to Sea Shepherd and a tree planted in your honour. Salty Cabins offer two architecturally designed locations, the A-frame, which offers spectacular 360-degree uninterrupted views, a perfect opportunity to watch the sunrise over the ocean and sunset across the mountains, and the cabin, situated atop a hill with breathtaking views of Yalgam Valley. Both locations are within 30 minutes' drive of Byron Bay. These incredible stays are the perfect place to unwind, relax and recharge, a must-do for your next holiday. Check them out at www.saltycabins.com. Now, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello and welcome, Lauren, Sophia. We are actually, we've been, mean, we've been trying to have this conversation for a while. I feel like it's been back and forth, but it's perfectly beautiful timing now. Um, divine, even. Divine, yes. because we happen to all be pregnant. <laughs> and this is the first time we've actually <laughs> said that on one of our episodes because it's early days still for us and we haven't. Oh, we're, not, we're nearly not out early of the days. first trimester, mate. It's yeah. not that early. Yeah. <laughs> But we haven't said anything about it to anybody yet, so no. um, it's a little, it's funny mentioning it. But um, I'm sure that we would have revealed it by the time this releases, though. Yes, we will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yes, we are chatting with the beautiful Lauren Sophia today, and if you follow her, you would know her as Innate Fertility on the socials. Um, you have the most beautiful wisdom. You've done so much study. You are just so qualified to have this chat about you know fertility and thriving in pregnancy and postpartum and beyond and um yeah we are gonna hopefully go on a little journey today from starting you know preconception conception pregnancy postpartum and just having an energetic flourishing beautiful time um, selfishly we will be asking lots of questions in terms us, of not yeah. anybody else <laughs> morning sickness and <laughs> making sure that we have yeah just to be completely thriving and I don't know just making sure that you know I feel like in pregnancy and postpartum and you haven't experienced this one yet Lauren but um for me I lose my brain entirely and can get really grumpy and yeah there's there's just so many things that I end up doing the way I parent all of that which I I know I mean we can probably all give ourselves a little break if you're out there pregnant and yelling at your kids <laughs> but um it, yeah I just feel like maybe there are things that we could be doing to help support ourselves and our bodies and ensure that we are functioning fully and therefore not as like depleted and reactive and mm. in that kind of state and then also the brain fog let's um let's get rid of that too so Lauren <laughs> hit us up <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks so much for the beautiful introduction. I'm super honored to be here. So mm -hmm. lovely to have you. Um, 
All right. Where do you want to start? I feel like let's go with conception and maybe preconception and mm. conscious conception because I know that you talk about that a little bit, Lauren. So I guess maybe, yeah, beginning of the journey of fertility. Yeah. I mean, how, if we're keeping the theme of, you know, keeping women out of those fertility clinics and taking more responsibility for, you know, their fertility, it's going to be the buzzword of the day, isn't it? Um, Yeah. Like what are your, you know, what are your messagings and fundamentals for thriving and having a beautiful outcome? So, you know, I, I know that there is a very large portion of the population that has unplanned pregnancies. So what I'm about to say, you know, <laughs> yeah, what I'm about to say, like, definitely don't um, uh, feel bad if you have not been able to prepare in the way that, you know, I'm about to describe. Uh, I think we're we're dealt certain surprises and it's beautiful, too. So. This is not with the intention to make anyone feel any kind of way about what's uh, unfolded for them. But conscious conception is what I'm really passionate about. And it's really an intentional approach to preparing for pregnancy. And it has many benefits. And the benefits are really why I'm so passionate about it. And that's first, you know, not only it does it help you potentially get pregnant faster. So just the idea of preparing for pregnancy, one of the things that is core to that for me is understanding your cycle and being able to track it accurately. That is a huge miss on almost 90% of couples uh, trying to conceive. And even couples that think they're utilizing fertility awareness accurately which is typically what you utilize to track your fertile window and time intercourse correctly. About 90%, there are studies that say about 90% are doing this incorrectly and it could be a leading cause of infertility. So, you know, just having that um, is really important and it can help you get pregnant faster. Um, uh, you know, a nutritious diet as well is incredibly important. It reduces the risk of infertility. Uh, also very greatly by, I believe it's 60%. Um, reducing toxins in your home. Um, and uh, also preparing your nervous system and your mental state as well, because welcoming a child and being able to accept the spirit of this child into your life and into your body is a huge part. And I find that a lot of women who have dealt with trauma or had really difficult upbringings that can be a really big missing piece as well. And then also preparing your body, your physical body to carry the baby physically, literally, um, because there's so much that can be done as well to improve blood flow and your ligaments and your pelvic floor, which also play a role in your ability to get pregnant and also your comfort during pregnancy. And so all of these things play a role in how quickly you can get pregnant, how healthy your pregnancy is. So in terms of reducing pregnancy complications as well. Uh, there is a lot to be said about that. Uh, reducing things like excess weight gain during pregnancy, gestational diabetes risk, uh, hypertension or hypertensive disorders, uh, birth defects, things like that. Pregnancy prep and preconception care can really influence that. 
and also how resilient you are postpartum, how quickly you are able to uh, heal and how much you are able to care for your child. You know, I get women all the time saying, I, I had no energy to even care for my newborn because I was just so depleted um, and can really influence how you feel postpartum as well. And then there's the big reason too, of course, which is your child's health. You know, you want to create the healthiest human possible. You want to create the healthiest baby possible. And preconception preparation can help you do that by optimizing your health because you actually quite literally imprint your health onto your child. At the moment of conception, it starts to unravel and your genetics start to sort of play play and unfold as well as your partners. Uh, so, you know, that's a note too, that this is not just for women, but also for your partners. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we our health onto our children and that also ripples into future generations so their children's children so at least by preparing for conception or your health at pregnancy is influencing your child and your grandchildren's health mm, yeah wow so what are the a few things that you would suggest to women who are in that preconception phase um and looking at creating the best outcome like how much time I guess we can start with the time frame that you would tell women to and men or couples to do a preconception program um, and then, yeah, and a few tips as Definitely to like what nutrition. you would suggest. I think nutrition because um, there's so much like diet dogma out there still um, and I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Um, so I feel like women are like, you know, they start eating a certain way because they think it's the best but there's so much confusion around that. So I'd love some clarity there. Yeah, <clears throat> I can talk about both. Um, so as far as timing, it's really difficult to say because no one has lived your life in your body or your partner's body. And so there are so many things to consider when it comes to preparing for conception, including whether or not you have chronic health issues that are unmanaged or managed or what medications you have been on, what diet you've been eating, um, you know, um, whether this is your first or, you know, how long ago was your last pregnancy? Uh, those are just a couple of examples. But, um, you know, the, the typical minimum uh, in the United States, at least, is three months. I think that's definitely important as a baseline minimum. But usually I see women wanting to put more time in. And it's not a question of like, can you get pregnant within three months of preparing for pregnancy? Probably. But, you know, based on everything that's happened until now, how you've lived until now, do you, are you able to optimize truly within that time frame in a way that will set you up for success during pregnancy and postpartum? That's really the question there. And that's where the intentional preparation come is really considering this time frame with a lot of care and thoughtfulness and potentially extending that time frame, you know, to work on these specific areas of opportunity if you identify them. Some women are ready to go, but I find for the most part that there may be some really big gaps that can be filled, especially regarding nutritional deficiencies, uh, maybe even pel pelvic floor 
<clears throat> excuse me, work um, that needs to be done. Um, mm -hmm. So and there's a lot of things at play and it's really difficult to say like uh, what the generalized timeline should be, but you could say, I guess, at least baseline minimum three months for both partners. Mm. This is so um, interesting because I feel like as women, we, I mean, and in, you know, a lot of the conversations we've had on our podcast recently is about, you know, of course a woman who, or woman who's 45 can get pregnant if they, you know, there's certain things that kind of line up. But the optimal time to get pregnant is obviously a lot younger than that. Um, but we're so disconnected from thinking that in our early 20s we should be priming <laughs> and reclaiming our fertility and making sure like we're living a certain way that's actually conducive to being ready to go, so to speak. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's something that, you know, kind of needs a little bit of reprogramming with younger women and educate re-educating around you know that's big part of preserving women's health yeah a bit off topic there but um for me who's accidentally gotten pregnant five times <laughs> <laughs> um why well, yeah i think you're totally right though because we've been conditioned to think that our fertility is completely separate from our health mm -hmm. it's like this compartmentalized thing just like everything is compartmentalized when it comes to our bodies of course, nothing is connected. And I say that sarcastically. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we've been conditioned not only by societal norms, TV, all the inputs there, but the way our medical system is set up too. Um, and so, of course, you know, women kind of think like, I can think about this later. Mm. Like, mm. and my period issues have nothing to do with my health right now. It's fine to not have a period. That's that's normal. Mm. But it all is connected. And so I feel like there is a shift happening with younger women realizing, you know, to really get a hold of their issues and, and they're kind of, you know, becoming more uh, knowledgeable about their cycles because they realize like all these solutions that they've been offered aren't working or they don't even want to, you know, take the birth control pill to regulate their cycle, quote unquote. Mm. Um, for more answers and I, I really I'm here for it mm. <laughs> um, but that's certainly not the way I grew up um, and and was you know kind of like led to believe um, but yeah I know that you asked about nutrition as well and so that is a huge part of preconception preparation as well most women in their reproductive years are nutrient deficient so we're starting in a negative state and so Part of pregnancy prep is really building up those nutrient stores so that you're at least hopefully replenished to handle your own needs, but also this growing baby that you'll be carrying. And, you know, it is true your body will pull as much as it can from you to deliver it to your baby, but your body has to have it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't have it, it's going to compensate in other ways. And that could mean making trade-offs. For certain things and that could manifest in things like tongue ties for example um, or even worse so uh, you know I think replenishment is really really important it's not the only thing though I will say there's I think there's tunnel vision when it comes to nutrition I think there's a lot more that can be done as far as pregnancy prep but it is one of the primary areas I focus on and help women in terms of preparing for pregnancy and the primary focus is building up those nutrient stores 
um, and also identifying any specific deficiencies that could be at play so that you have a good strategy for how you want to nourish yourself moving forward. Mm. And that involves nutrient-dense foods, you know, whole foods. I'm sure your audience is all about that. But, mm. <laughs> you know, shopping the perimeter of the, the supermarket or grocery store, um, eating as minimally processed foods as possible, but also preparing your foods in a way that allow you to extract the nutrients as easily as possible and to digest them as easily as possible. Um, I think that's a huge miss when it comes to preconception diets. And I don't want to say preconception diets because how you're nourishing before pregnancy should be how you nourish during pregnancy, should be how you're nourishing all the time, Mm -hmm. maybe with minor adjustments. But, you know, I think that the more you can start to eat this way regularly, the more fertile and vibrant you're going to be throughout your whole life anyway. Mm. Um, So. Yeah, that's um, so for so I, th- I guess this kind of leads into actually being pregnant too, is if you're a less, you know, educated person when it comes to nutrition, um, what are some of the things that you get women to start really thinking about when it comes to like, is it kind of like you want them to be like, okay, like let's look at this, you know, macro macronutrient or micronutrient kind of Profile. outlook on what it is that I want you to be kind of aiming for? Like are your recommendations kind of like, okay, this is just really important baseline for every human being, every woman, um, or is it kind of like individual? Individual, yeah. So if like you're if you're working with a mama who's pregnant, you're like, okay, this is what I want you to be focusing on the most. Like what would that be? That's a great question. And I think it's relative to the person. Honestly, I've worked with women and men that eat fast food every day all the way to (laughs) all the way to and that's not most of my clients uh, I will say Um, most of my clients are you know pretty hip with it Uh, but you know all the way to women that are eating all the grass-fed everything raw dairy etc so I think it's really dependent on what that person is already eating uh, and then figuring out what the possible deficiencies are from there. So, okay, maybe somebody is eating a lot of great, you know, meat. Uh, So they're getting their steak in, which is great for protein. And, you know, I think that's another thing I I will talk about and break down. But are they getting enough fish or seafood? Because that's also delivers a completely different set of nutrients that you need to support not only your fertility, but also a healthy pregnancy and your brain, your baby's brain development. Um, and so it's kind of looking to see what the patterns are and uh, going from there. Or, you know, if, if this person is very intolerant to eggs, how can we make sure that they get, they get more choline in their diet, for example, which is the, one of the primary nutrients and star nutrients that eggs deliver. So what else are they eating that will deliver choline if, if you know, they're not eating much? Then can we get them to eat something that will deliver the and fill the gap? Or is it a supplement that we need to rely on? Um, so it's really approaching it from that perspective. Um, but I will say protein is one of the biggest, 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 biggest deficiencies. And you might be surprised because it's not a vitamin or a mineral, but it's a macronutrient. So it's one step up. Um, 
But in, for women, most women come to me eating too little protein in general. And this is so important because it provides so many essential vitamins and minerals too when you're getting enough. So it's kind of, you know, hitting so many two birds with one stone or checking off a bunch of boxes at the same time. Um, but it's super important for balancing blood sugar, which is really important for fertility, super important for thyroid health, super important for detoxification, super important for uh, providing, again, a lot of vitamins and minerals. It's also going to serve as the building blocks for your baby and your placenta and the stretching of your skin as your pregnancy goes on. Um, so it is so important. And too many women are not getting nearly enough protein. Uh, that is one thing that I see across the board. Um, but yeah, we you know we can also talk about specific kinds of foods that I really like to see. If mm, that's something yes, that would help. please. Yeah. So, I mean, and you're not going to be surprised by this, <laughs> probably. Um, but, you know, really uh, a, a lot of healthy animal foods are really what's going to provide the protein that you need. Um, so, uh, it, it just allows you to get more bang for your buck and it contains less anti-nutrients, which inhibit your absorption of these really critical vitamins and minerals. Uh, so uh, a lot of muscle meats are really great, but also the gelatinous cuts too. So you might hear of eat nose to tail and that's really consuming, you know, the, the whole animal. And I'm a big fan of that because all of the different parts of the animal will provide many, many different varieties of nutrients. So you have your muscle meats, which are really, really high in protein and vitamins and minerals, but also the gelatinous cuts, um, really the sinew, the bones, uh, you can make bone broth from them. They have anti-inflammatory proteins as well, and a lot of minerals. And then the organ meats, which are basically like nature's multivitamins. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are super concentrated sources of vitamins and minerals and varietizing those can really help you get uh, even more uh, nutrition. Um, and so I love the, you know, the whole animal approach. Uh, seafood, super important. Um, and that's fish and shellfish, especially shellfish. I love shellfish. Super nutrient dense for minerals and vitamins. Again, super rich in protein as well. Um, dairy products. Um, if you can get high quality dairy, that's great or raw, that's even better. But even just regular dairy is going to be wonderful in providing a different set of minerals and a different set of amino acids, different kinds of proteins. Um, eggs are amazing. Um, and you'll notice that all of those are basically animal proteins, but also, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables are a really important part of this too. Uh, properly prepared though. So a lot of vegetables uh, will have anti-nutrients. Um, so you can't really eat them. You can, but you shouldn't eat them necessarily raw. Um, fruits you can, they're amazing. They contain really usually um, easy to digest carbohydrates and a different profile of carbohydrates than something like grains, for example. Um, and that, that also helps with energy production. And they also contain minerals as well. Other minerals that maybe is, are less profound in animal foods, like potassium, for example, which is very important. 
Um, and so I would say those as well as, you know, legumes and some grains, I'm a big fan of as well, as long as they're prepared properly, the ancestral mm. traditional way. So this is like um, soaked to make sure and like soaked, cool, for routed, soaked yeah. fermented. You can utilize all of those different kinds of uh, methods, depending on what you'd like. They all have different times for the different food um, and different potentially, meth- uh, you know, components that you need to worry about. But um, it just helps with also not only nutrient assimilation, but digestibility and blood sugar regulation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so huge bonuses there. But uh, really, that I focus on the protein because you hit so many things. Mm. And then um, you do need, though, you need the plant foods for the fiber, additional minerals. And um, they also provide other sources of vitamins too, like folate, for example, which is everyone's favorite nutrient to talk about during pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Should we actually quickly cover like the debacle about folate and folic acid synthetic while we're here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get your take on it or not even your sure. take. Like it's the, the truth about <laughs> it. <laughs> let's get the truth about yeah. folate, folic acid and synthetic versions. Sure. Uh, so folic acid to be 100% clear is uh, a chemical. It's synthetically produced and what's really annoying is that in the literature, it's refer- folate is referred to as folic acid. Folic acid is referred to as folate. There's not a lot of um, differentiation, differentiation, distinction. Uh, I, you know, it, it really bugs me because we should be really, uh, really clear on that in the literature. Yeah, <laughs> and not so the same thing. you have to, yeah, you have to read. Um, you have to read a bit more to really catch that and understand, okay, is, is this actually referring to folate or folic acid and which type? Um, so uh, folate comes from food. Uh, folic acid comes from, uh, well, it's a chemical uh, compound. So uh, anything, you know, I guess in prenatals, for example, folic acid is commonly added to prenatals. It's very cheap. Um, the issue with folic acid is that at least in the United States, about half the population has a genetic mutation that makes it very difficult to convert folic acid into folate, which is basically what has to happen when you consume folic acid. And if this conversion can't occur, you end up with a lot of unmetabolized folic acid in your body, which we are only beginning to understand the repercussions of. So this can potentially lead to a mass vitamin B12 deficiency, uh, can lead to functional folate deficiency. So it will take up receptor space and block actual folate from getting into the receptor, but not act the same way. Um, I do want to clarify that folic acid has been proven to help reduce neural tube defects. So, and that's usually what people are most concerned about, Uh, you know, something like spina bifida, for example. Mm -hmm. However, there are a lot of cases, I think about 33% of them, a third, are folic acid resistant. So, why is that? <laughs> and it's not covering everyone's bases. You know, it's it's maybe helping a certain amount of people, but not everyone. And um, I think that, uh, you know, while there is a time and a place and everyone was really excited about folic acid when they found out in the 90s, and here in the United States, they started fortifying all the foods with folic acid. It's still a big problem, especially if you do have this genetic mutation where it can make things a lot worse and, you know, 
it has been associated with uh, preconception consumption of folic acid, for example, has been connected to tongue ties. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one sign that you have MTHFR, which is the genetic mutation. Uh, but there's way worse repercussions if you're not um, utilizing a biologically matched form of folate with you know, yourself. If you have MTHFR, it could lead to other things because then you end up with folate deficiency. And then that is a huge problem. It can lead to birth defects, mm. autism, etc. It's like all things, hey. Like we try to isolate <laughs> it and then what have we done? <laughs> what would you suggest like consuming then? to increase your folate like what should people actually be doing to increase their folate rather than going to supplementation (laughs) yeah so food is definitely the first thing i would look at because there's also this additional nuance and i don't want to maybe get into it too much but there's something as there's such a thing as a hypomethylator and a hypermethylator so you know one supplement version or one type of supplement a form of folate, I should say, is not going to cover everyone's bases. I think a third of the population are hypermethylators, two thirds are hypomethylators. And there's different approaches you have to take because they're going to require different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've ever heard somebody say like, oh, this folate uh, supplement made me feel really sick, um, that could be a sign that, you know, this is not working for you and you're, you're of the other type. Uh, but anyway... To simplify everything, (laughs) food first is really where you want to go, and it's going to have the most usable form of folate for you. And, you know, folate is quite delicate, so you have to be careful in terms of, like, heating things too high. Um, So you don't want to cook the, you know, excuse my French, but the crap out of your your leafy greens. You do want to cook them, but you don't want to burn them or cook them too much on high heat. Leafy greens are a good source, but they are not the richest source. Liver is actually the richest source of folate. And so if you're trying to get more folate into your diet, and there are so many other reasons to eat liver anyway, and this could be chicken liver, this could be beef liver, this could be calves liver, this could be bison liver, lamb liver, but it will contain so much folate and it will also hit the mark on so many other nutrients and be very easy to digest as well. Mm. So liver great, uh, leafy greens, and then legumes are another great source. Amazing. I would actually love to quickly just touch on while we're here, the myths around eating things like raw liver, oysters, raw dairy, raw eggs. <clears throat> what else is there? Soft cheese. Um, because I personally eat all of those things and I know many other women are starting to realize that they're probably actually pretty safe. What's your thoughts? <laughs> Maybe I not have as a... detrimental <laughs> as what we're all meant to believe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's really relative comfort level, honestly, because plant foods pose just as much of a risk as these animal foods that you've just listed uh, in terms of foodborne illness, at least here in the United States, as far as like the statistics go. Um, so you have just as much of a chance of getting food poisoning from your salad as you do your runny egg. That might actually be, actually, you might have more of a chance of getting food poisoning from your raw (laughs) salad than you might have runny egg. But, um, you know, it's really on a food by food basis. Um, Quality matters. Um, You know, storage matters. 
uh, preparation matters, um, sourcing matters. It's really a matter of common sense. Again, it's also comfort level. So I would say do your research. I, <laughs> I won't be able to remember the statistics off the top of my head. I do have a post that go, kind of breaks everything down. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's, it's about gauging your comfort level with um, kind of like, you know, knowing that they might, it might be quite outdated to be referring to these foods as like risky. Dangerous. Um, yeah, <laughs> I will say um, uh, the one thing I wouldn't necessarily recommend is shellfish, uh, raw shellfish. Um, especially if you're in a landlocked state like I am, I'm in Colorado, so there's no ocean near me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for example, my husband and I went on a baby moon to Mexico right on the shore. And what did I have? I had a lot of ceviche. I had a lot of ceviche <laughs> and, um, <laughs> technically, you. <laughs> you know, it's cooked, um, with lime juice, but it's not fully cooked. I had some, uh, raw um, fish as well, some raw, uh, scallops as well. And those would be considered quite risky. Um, I think, you know, shellfish does carry more of a risk and I have gotten food poisoning from shellfish in the past. So I'm a little more careful, but it was typically like, because I'm landlocked and it was mm. a weird situation. Um, but that's the only one I would say, like maybe use, a little more caution. Yeah. I think it's always um, good to just consider where you are in the world, you know, and it's, you know, it's same. I mean, if you're in Colorado, you're probably not eating tropical fruit all year round. So I think the same thing applies. If you aren't living by the coast, you probably mm. shouldn't be eating raw seafood, maybe. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> or, um, yeah, if you're on a tropical island, you're probably not eating raw liver all the time. I don't know. Just that makes sense to me. Yeah, seasonal probably think, like, is what's also in your ecology. Important. Yeah, that's reasonable, and I also think it depends on the laws and the practices in the country that you live in. Mm. So, for example, most fish here in the United States is flash frozen before you know you mm. can buy it at the supermarket or you know it's it's served at a restaurant, and that will usually kill most, if not all, pathogens. So eating sushi from your favorite sushi restaurant which you've never gotten sick from even if you're in Colorado that's fine like I do that all the time yeah. mm. what I would say is like don't get the gas station sushi that's probably been sitting under the heat lamps or you know under the fluorescent lights for gosh knows how many days yeah don't um, they use lab meat in that now <laughs> Yeah, it must oh, be. A, you must be. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I always because I've spent a lot of time in um, America and Canada, and like we don't really. I mean, like I'm following the lab meat thing, and I am mortified that one day I'm going to go back there and accidentally eat a lab-grown salmon. Or it's hard enough differentiating between like farmed fish, wild fish, and now I've got to think about lab. 3D printed salmon. <laughs> I'm freaking out. <laughs> We just all need to move to Italy. Yes. Where been. <laughs> she, like, you don't have to tell her. She's going. <laughs> She's on her way. It's our plan. It's our plan. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm glad we, I'm glad we touched on that. Cause sometimes people, um, I, I think my last pregnancy, it was very controversial. People, I was like posting on Instagram, just downing raw liver and people were like, oh my God, what are you doing? Like, that is not okay. Um, 
So I'm glad you validated my <laughs> behavior. <laughs> oh yeah. It's really up to you. You you are in power. You you have the power to make those decisions. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I would just say you don't have to do anything you're not comfortable with. If the idea of like, you know, eating that scares you more than anything, then absolutely don't do that. But um, if you want it, you know, I get women all the time like, oh, I just want, I just want a deli sandwich and, you know, go to the deli, get some freshly sliced ham and turkey, make your own sandwich. That's amazing. You know, like hit that, uh, your your body's craving this thing, Mm -hmm. um, probably more for more than just the deli taste, it's probably craving the protein and things like that too. Um, so there's really nothing wrong in, you know, making one yourself. <laughs> Lauren, what would you suggest for women who suffer morning sickness and the thought of most food <laughs> is anything but appealing? Um, how, how have you ha- like managed that with clients in the past? That's a great question. So I will say morning sickness, the solution for it is very particular to the woman. So what helps one woman is not going to help the other woman. I will share though what I've seen work for most. Um, and I do want to share too that the one of the reasons I love preconception prep is because in the first trimester, while you might be experiencing morning sickness, while your placenta is being formed, your embryo is getting nourished by your uterine lining, your endometrium. So all the work you've been putting into preconception prep, you can kind of just relax because Mm. you've built your nutrient stores, you've thickened that uterine lining, you've optimized your progesterone levels, you've optimized your, your uterine lining thickness, to be healthy and plush and to really nourish that embryo while your placenta is being formed. And so even if my students, a lot of my students don't experience morning sickness and it's just like, uh, it's this miracle that happens, I guess, um, you know, they've prepared for pregnancy, especially the ones that put in at least six months to a year, they typically don't. Um, but, um, you know, for those that do, it's not like anything's wrong. So also take solace in that your endometrium is nourishing your baby. And also that this is a very common thing. Granted, like severe morning sickness where it's really starting to diminish your quality of life. I also want to acknowledge that that is also not normal. And, you know, I feel for you and you don't deserve that. (laughs) Mm. But for anyone. uh, Sorry, really quickly. You're referring to hyperemesis there. Hyperemesis or, you know, maybe somewhere between your typical morning sickness and hyperemesis, like really severe, but not severe enough to be hospitalized. Um, Just really just almost, you know, getting depressed too Mm -hmm. because of it. Um, Is that just a sign of full depletion in your opinion or is that something a little bit more sinister or... Um, there are so many reasons for it, um, especially hyperemesis. There could be a lot of gut issues that were previously not taken care of or unidentified. Um, there are thyroid issues that could be at play. So these are things that you, you know 
what I, these are the things that I love to like kind of work through with clients to really figure out um, if there's any potential issues around these things um, to help hopefully prevent something like hyperemesis. But also there are so many reasons to optimize your gut health and thyroid health too. And those are just a couple of examples and reasons why hyperemesis might occur. So um, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's cut and dry. And, you know, certainly we don't know enough about exact causation mm. for morning sickness. And with so many women going through it, I think, yes, there certainly are things we can do to prevent it. But also like you're in a completely anabolic state in the first trimester, your blood sugar dysregulation like is crazy. Like you are so insulin sensitive that if you don't get enough food, just like <laughs> going past the, the, whenever your blood sugar drops, it just makes it so much worse, which is why what I see that works for most women, most of my clients is regardless of the amount of food, eating small meals, every one to two hours balanced. So trying to get that protein. I know that food aversions can be really strong during this time too, but really taking anything that you can get. Like I will take anything that I can get. <laughs> if You don't have to have deli meat. You don't have to have fish. You don't have to have steak. You can have a piece of cheese or a glass of milk and then some crackers. Like mm. just try to balance it in a way that will support your blood sugar because if you don't it will make it so much worse like mm -hmm. uh, for example um i had one client that um was able to stomach a breakfast she had a, a really big uh serving of scrambled eggs and then had a pastry and the pastry she had too much pastry in relation to eggs and that sent her blood sugar spinning where she was so sick, especially in the afternoon, she was mm. just like so sick from her meal in the morning. Um, and it was just from that one meal. But, you know, I think just, yeah, you have to play around with it. You have to have grace and be kind to yourself and um, know that, you know, just, just hang in there, um, play around with things. Um, and, and, you know, uh, most of the time it does disappear around 12 weeks. So at least you have something to like look out and look forward to on the horizon. Um, but, you know, I would say in addition to trying other things, you know, there's so many other things you can try doing this baseline thing helps solve a lot of the problem. Mm -hmm. And then like, I guess going into really, I mean, cause where I feel like we're both at the point where like, We've been pregnant so many times. We've done the whole journey so many times. And now we're our, our bigger, like towards, you know, even my third and fourth pregnancy and definitely this pregnancy, my eye and my goal is postpartum. Like I want a fully energized, quick healing, mm -hmm. kind of just like best foot forward. Um, but even like the last, and the last, like those bit last too, few like weeks, going into birth, fatigue, yeah. And beyond, like, I mean, to have a fifth child and have four kids already you can't be depleted no. <laughs> from the get-go. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to hear you just speak on really giving yourself the best opportunity to have an, you know, focus word, energy, energised um, last trimester and birth and postpartum and not feel 
you know, like you're going to fall apart when you stand up after birth or in those days post birth. Um, even like carrying on because you know mm. like like I always keep thinking about that first 40 days and how crucial it is for nine months postpartum like making sure that the mother doesn't end up with postnatal depression or other like forms of severe depletion um yeah, so it's like it, it, it's this carry-on effect. If you can like manage it as early as possible, then you can like you'll see the, that flow-on effect of mm. grace throughout your first year. Yeah. So, so obviously, like hitting your nutritional needs and yeah. not allowing the tank to get empty in the first place is obviously incredibly important. Um, but what else do you think there is? I mean, I'm hearing like eat a lot of protein can do <laughs> eat the nose and tail can do i'm having beef cheeks for dinner tonight i'm really <laughs> hungry <laughs> um yeah like what else are your um fundamentals for just increasing energy and healing capacity yeah i i think nutrition definitely plays a role um and i'll kind of go through a couple things um and they may not be what you expect to so Nutrition for sure, and really increasing your intake of um, protein-rich foods, but especially that nose to tail. So your your body is going to need to heal afterwards, and your uterus is going to need to restructure, and that requires a lot of energy, but also a lot of collagen. And so really focusing on those collagenous foods, but also collagen-building foods and collagen uh, nutrients that help build collagen uh, include vitamin C and amino acids like glycine. Um, vitamin A is really important for collagen production. Um, but, uh, zinc is also really important. So is copper. So making sure you're getting a lot of these nutrients and also um, really helping your body heal by eating foods that align with this season. And postpartum is basically a winter. Uh, so eating warming foods which are going to allow your body to focus its energy not on digestion, but healing the tissues um, from birth. So in supporting that restructuring. Uh, and the more energy your body can focus on that, it'll have maybe hopefully leftover energy that you can also uh, extend to your family too. Um, but yeah, a lot of that is definitely really important. Getting enough calories as well. There's definitely an adjustment period as you go from pregnant to postpartum and having to stay up and nurse your baby. If you know you're doing that, um, waking up in, you know, every two hours uh, and a lot of women, a lot of new mothers forget to eat. It's just like complete survival mode. So um, either putting a reminder on your phone to eat or having your partner, uh, putting that on your partner or whoever is there to support you. Yeah, let's put um, out there now meal trains, <laughs> meal trains. Organize a meal train I'm where set people mine up now. <laughs> bring you food, get your community so around important. you. Meal yeah. trains. Yeah. Yeah, meal trains. Also, postpartum meal prep. If you mm-hmm. have the energy, you know, take advantage of it while you still do in the post um, third trimester. Uh, so, you know, maybe the first couple weeks first month or two of, of your third trimester, start preparing slowly but surely freezer meals that you can just 
put in the fridge to defrost. And then, you know, during the week, you can just take them out as you need them. It's a great idea to just make extra food and then uh, freeze the rest uh, as you, and that's an easy way to kind of like build your postpartum artillery of meals. Um, so I would say that uh, also pelvic floor health is a huge one, you know, hopefully yeah, you've been doing that. some, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> hopefully you've been doing some pelvic floor work. Um, what does that look like? You know, Cause I know one of the, the posts that I, I remember of yours a long time ago was like, Kegels are a scam. And I'm like, okay, cool. No more Kegels. That's great. I don't care. I, I like Kegels anyway. <laughs> but like, what is it? Like, what is really honing in and focusing on your pelvic floor health look like during pregnancy? So during pregnancy, it's really, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of talk about the two cause it can really vary. Um, so during pregnancy, your primary goal is to balance and learn how to relax your pelvic floor. And this is because most women are tensing. They've been doing Kegels because they've heard that um, they're like, you know, so good for your pelvic floor. Um, they wear a lot of high heels. They do a lot of things that tighten the pelvic floor. Uh, if you're somebody that suffers from vaginismus, uh, for example, you know exactly what this is. But also if you have issues like endometriosis or PCOS, your pelvic floor is going to be very tight too. Mm -hmm. um, so learning how to engage your pelvic floor, but also relax it even more importantly, because during birth, that relaxation is what's going to prevent you from having, you know, a 72 hour labor. Um, whereas if you don't know how to relax your pelvic floor, you're going to have a bad time. So <laughs> you are going to have a bad um, time if you can't relax your vagina. <laughs> it's one of the, at least like, you know, yeah. there, of course there are so many other extenuating mm. circumstances, but having this foundation can make birth so much easier because at least you know how to breathe properly through the contractions and you can push when you need to, or even, you know, Sometimes you don't need to push because of the fetal ejection reflex. So you can kind of know what your pelvic floor is up to and how to engage it, but also relax it for when you need to. Um, and so doing that work, especially the breathing, pelvic floor breathing, um, is, is incredibly important for uh, during pregnancy. And also while you're exercising too, this is something that I teach as well, how to properly engage during exercise because we not only do we kind of go through our day kind of like in this um we're breathing through our mouth we're kind of like hyperventilating through our day or at least a lot of people are mm. and then we go to work out and we're hyperventilating even more that's tightening our pelvic floor so much because your pelvic floor is connected to your diaphragm so you know if your diaphragm is not properly functioning your pelvic floor you can bet your pelvic floor is going to have some problems too um, so that's why breath is so important and how you engage when you engage is really important. Um, and then postpartum is a different story. You know, I really encourage everyone to get a pelvic floor assessment from a physiotherapist to really understand what's going on, uh, but also understanding how to engage your pelvic floor and how to relax it. And in postpartum, we'll focus more on engagement, um, especially, you know, if you have diastasis, uh, separation of the abdominal muscles, 
this is going to be hand in hand. So both I will be working on, um, but it will be really important to kind of help your pelvic floor restructure um, and uh, properly as well. And because your your pelvic floor is also uh, your, your abdomen is also an extension of your pelvic floor to really heal your diastasis. You're also going to need to focus on your pelvic floor. Mm. So there's a lot of connection and overlap and it all really comes together where Kegels are, and Kegels can be helpful for some people. I don't want to completely bash Kegels, but if you're doing Kegels without proper assessment of your pelvic floor, and you've been told to do a specific kind of Kegel because there, there are many ways to do a Kegel. Most women just think it's like, okay, squeeze 10 times at the, the red light. That is not <laughs> the proper way to do Kegels. <laughs> you can, I, I teach you how to do Kegels, but properly. Um, and that's usually comes in the postpartum period. But, um, you know, if you're doing Kegels just to do Kegels, you're probably making things tighter and more imbalanced. Um, mm-hmm. and so that is where things like prolapse can happen. That's where things like a hypertonic pelvic floor can happen where it's like super, super tight and a p- tight pelvic floor too can restrict blood flow. And what's down there, your, your ovaries and you need blood flow for high quality eggs. So, you know, it, it all connects, um, and pelvic floor health is really, really important. Mm, it's something that's under looked underlooked yeah that's right (laughs) underrated underrated underlooked um not prioritized isn't it Mm. we don't really talk about it a whole lot it's kind of like a deal with it yourself situation when the problem arises that's kind of how I'm feeling yeah well I guess like postpartum too like depending on your situation when you've got one baby postpartum it's so easy to get to a physio yeah (laughs) yeah when you have four babies postpartum (laughs) Not so easy. The realities, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Realities in motherhood. <laughs> mm, that is so true. Um, okay, and just to – I really want to touch on this quickly because it's it's quite funny to me <laughs> um, – is natural conception. I mean, contraception. Yes. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> Help us. we thought we knew. <laughs> we thought we knew what that was and we were nailing it, but – You've never nailed it. <laughs> literally it turns out I have no idea what I'm doing you have no idea I have no idea I've thought I did I mean I obviously don't believe that I <laughs> so yeah would love to hear about <laughs> not yeah. getting pregnant naturally when when we <laughs> when we're finished when we've completed our family which I'm really excited to say five babies we're completes done. my family completes our family 100% yep. completes our so family. We're, we're, our families are completed how would we then ensure that that completion was completed Completed. (laughs) for the rest of our (laughs) fertile years. (laughs) Well, I think any contraceptive method has pros and cons. Mm -hmm. So you have to really weigh that for yourself and what you and your partner are both comfortable with. Um, My favorite forms of natural contraception are fertility awareness. Um, one, because it's non-hormonal, and that's really important to me. But also I find that a lot of women are ditching hormonal methods because it's just driven them into this cycle of, you know, other health problems. So mm-hmm. that said, it, it can be an option and it might be the right option for someone listening. 
Um, but you also have to, I think it's really important to make an informed decision. Okay. What does that come with? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because and everything it, has an exchange. That's something that we go into in a couple of our other episodes. Mm. Um, so if we were looking at purely on, yeah, I guess, um, fertility awareness, which, um, is what, yeah, something that well, I feel like, like <laughs> we don't really know enough of. I feel like that's we? the thing. Like, and you mentioned it earlier that hardly anybody actually, cause I mean, everybody, I mean, especially around here, everyone's like, oh yeah, I just track my cycle and I don't get pregnant, but we all getting pregnant. <laughs> and so <laughs> <laughs> what is like, what are some of the key mistakes that we're obviously making? So we've, you know, like I know a lot of women just have like an app and they're like, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure I, it seems like by my symptoms, I've ovulated on that day. So mm-hmm. I, I just avoid having sex that day. But obviously you can get pregnant days leading up and post and perhaps you don't have the right symptom and you're not actually tracking correctly. Are they the mistakes that we're making or like not just us, but women in general? Mm. Very possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, so fertility awareness is not the way that your grandma tracked her cycle, the rhythm method. This is not the rhythm method. This is not your app telling you when you're supposed to ovulate. Do not use your app as <laughs> your tracker. I mean, you can use it to put your information in that you are tracking, but it will not confirm anything for you and it cannot predict accurately what's going to happen. It is just kind of, t- I look at it as like a notebook almost. Um, so you know, it's, you can track your symptoms. Um, but you are the one saying, I probably ovulated on this day. And you're the one that says, I started my cycle this day. And this is when I might, you know, I would ignore your ovulation is predicted to happen on this date. Mm. Um, because <laughs> while it, oh my gosh, I wish I could remember. <laughs> I recently saw, saw a study that, um, went into the inaccuracy of these apps. Um, gosh. <laughs> I like, wish you I don't could. need to say anymore that that pretty much <laughs> like just seems the inaccuracy of apps seems pretty, yeah, a fair analysis of mm. <laughs> apps there, in general. I mean, there's that. Mm. But yeah, would we, the, if we're going into fertility awareness method, what are the things we're looking at? I think from memory it's, you know, cervical fluids and um body temp and body temp is that what you would suggest so there i i want to maybe backtrack a little bit and then explain fertility awareness too because i think a lot of people think fertility awareness is one thing when it's actually quite a big thing Mm -hmm. um so another really big mistake i see women making is they're using ovulation predictor kits as their only method of tracking their cycle as well And while they can be helpful information, they should not be used alone. This I've seen way too many times, either thwarting and completely sabotaging chances of conception or huge mistakes have been made and now you're pregnant again (laughs) when you don't want to be. Lots Um, of babies coming in. (laughs) So there's that. Um, And then there's also just this idea that you can piece together a fertility awareness method from people on Instagram. And I'm telling you that that is also not a good idea, whether you want to get pregnant 
or you don't want to get pregnant because this will just mess with everything. <laughs> um, so uh, my first recommendation is to, well, if you are pursuing fertility awareness, to find one that works for you because there are quite literally, I think like over uh, at least a dozen, if not more types of fertility awareness. And fertility awareness refers to tracking your fertile days and infertile days based on your fertility signs that your body's giving you. Some pair this with things like ovulation predictor kits. So there are methods like certified methods that will combine a couple of these things. So the signs and um, the predictor kits, and some of them use only one sign like cervical mucus. Some of them use three signs like uh, cervical height, cervical mucus, and temperature. So there are a bunch of different types. Each of them requires, you know, a different level of participation. Um, I would recommend finding one that works for you. So that works with your lifestyle that, you know, is easy for you to implement, but also is going to help you reach the goals that you want. Um, so my favorite are the symptothermal methods, um, which include tracking basal body temperature. I find that this is the most accurate for trying to conceive for sure. Um, and, or trying to prevent, I should say. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's my favorite. And that uses cervical fluid, um, cervical height and temperature, body, basal body temperature. And sometimes you can use um, ovulation predictor test kits if you'd like. Uh, but, you know, this is my favorite form of fertility awareness. And I do recommend also either buying a book or taking an instructional course on the exact rules that you need to follow for this fertility awareness to, method to work because mm -hmm. where things get really messy is that they'll combine, you know, one rule from one method and another rule from another method when there's 12 over 12 methods and they all have their own different rules, which is why it's really important to get educated on the exact type that you're using. So you know exactly how to use it correctly and that you don't need to worry about what anyone else is doing. You're just tracking according to this specific method, um, which makes it so much easier to just have to worry about this, you know, one way that you're tracking versus like, you know, the Creighton method, the Billings method, the Marquette method, like there's so many methods. Mm. Um, so that's really what I would <laughs> do is find one that works for you and then follow it uh, accurately, learn it and follow it. Um, and don't kind of like, you know, try to like blog post your way into it. I would really invest in like a book or an educational resource that teaches you exactly what you need mm. to know. Okay. Sounds like I got it wrong. <laughs> I know where <laughs> I went wrong now. <laughs> no, I shouldn't make so many jokes about being pregnant. I actually am really excited. Um, well, I'm excited I'm, for you. You know, surprises are also beautiful. <laughs> I'm actually so excited for you to experience birth for the first time. And it's, you're having a home birth, aren't you? I think I saw it. I am, yes. Yeah. It's, it's the best. Like, it's actually the best. Yeah. Once I'm through the morning sickness phase, I'm like ready. Like, <laughs> yes, but <'cause> it's literally <laughs> so the <exciting>. best. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm getting so much more excited. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah. it's going to be amazing. And it sounds like, it sounds like you've already given birth plenty of times <laughs> to be completely honest. <laughs> it's like you're a seasonal pro, but you actually haven't even done it yet. So I think you're going to have an amazing birth mm. and I'm so excited to follow the journey and see when that little bubba comes earthside and also follow how you're looking after yourself. Um, and I know I was going to talk about all of your beautiful offerings, but um, I think I'll just, unless you have anything that you've been working on lately that you're just super excited about and you want to share, um, I know you've got so many beautiful offerings and lots of free resources on your website and I'm going to share all of that in our show notes and so everybody can um, get to you nice and easy. But um, yeah, is there anything that you've been working on apart from growing a human being? Oh, yes. Thanks. Well, thank you for asking. I mean, it's funny how you say <laughs> it sounds like I've gone through birth. <laughs> well, I have helped hundreds of women go through this process. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's been my it's been the the greatest joy and honor of my life, honestly. And, um, you know, I'm so passionate about this work in this space. Um, and so one of the things that I birthed during this pregnancy is a completely revamped version of my course, Conscious Conception. And that's the pregnancy prep e-course um, that I launched a couple years ago, but I wanted to bring new vibrance and a new perspective to it. Um, and that was also just a beautiful birth in itself. <laughs> and I'm super Amazing. excited to share it with everyone. We'll have to have a look and let everybody know about that one. Yeah. And where can our listeners find you if they want to follow on your journey? Yeah, so I'm primarily active on Instagram and my handle is at innate and that's I N is Nancy N is Nancy A T E underscore fertility. Uh, and then my website is innatefertility.org. Um, and yeah, I have a podcast as well. And maybe I'll have to have you both on it. It's called the Innate Wisdom Podcast. Yes. Season two is launching next week, and I'm super excited about that. We would love to. Let's debrief once the babies arrive. Yeah, we can do a whole birth <laughs> story share. <Yes. laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge with us today. It's been such a pleasure and it is so nice connecting with other mamas to be, um, especially in this time of life. So thank you once again. Um, and yeah, we look forward to reconnecting with you. Likewise, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.